Welcome to the Dare to Multiply podcast. On this podcast, we help passionate Jesus followers become courageous, obedient disciples who impact their communities for the kingdom of God. I'm your host, Cynthia Anderson, a disciple multiplication coach and trainer. I'm going to show you how to make and multiply disciples in your area. God's got great things ahead for you. Let's dare to multiply. On today's podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing Curtis Sargent, who is one of the early members of the 2414 Network, a collaboration of many different groups who are working together to see movements and movement engagement started in every unreached people group in every region of the world. And it's a wonderful joy to have Curtis here with me today. We're going to be talking about collaboration and working together for multiplication and movement. What are some of the challenges that come? What are some of the keys that we can find as we work together to see new movements launched in unreached areas or in the cities and places that God has called us to? You're going to enjoy this and we will be back in just a moment. Are you busy but not seeing the fruit you long for? Dissatisfied with your present level of impact on those around you? Or frustrated with traditional methods of discipleship that don't seem to be effective? If so, the Getting Started in Disciple Making Movements course may be just what you need. Inside the Getting Started program, you'll get access to a step-by-step proven approach to making and multiplying disciples. Not only will you receive 25 short and practical video teachings spread out over six modules, but you'll have a chance to connect with others for group coaching via our monthly Zoom calls. And even more importantly, you'll become part of a global community of like-minded people from all over the world who are passionately committed to following Jesus and impacting others around them. If you want to get unstuck and begin moving forward as a disciple who makes disciples, I encourage you to go to courses.dmmsfrontiermissions.com and sign up for this powerful program today. And now to today's episode. I am here today with Curtis Sargent. And Curtis, it's such a privilege to have you here on the Dare to Multiply podcast tonight. Welcome. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you. Yeah. And um, what the topic that we're talking about today is collaboration and working together for multiplication and for movements. And you have been such a thought leader in that area, I feel like, um, with the 2414 Network and just um, Zume and all the different things you've been involved in. I know that I don't even know uh, even a small portion of what you've been doing in this area, but you've really been a leader in the area of calling people towards collaboration, towards the release of movement. So really looking forward to that com- conversation, to learning from you, gleaning from you. But before we dive into that, just by way of introduction, tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how did you get involved in disciple multiplication and the idea of disciple making movements, church planning movements, and this whole realm? Uh, what's, what's your story? Yeah, so um, I grew up overseas. My parents were missionaries, so I lived in uh, Taejon, South Korea through elementary school. Taichung, Taiwan for middle school and high school. And it was 
the summer between my freshman and sophomore years of high school that I really kind of had my call very specifically to unreached peoples. Um, I was at an all night prayer meeting with some friends and had kind of a dramatic encounter with the Lord. And um, on the movement side, um, we were in um, China serving on an island off the south coast tart you know among an unengaged group there and um my focus and passion for movement started with a conversation with an old lady who is very old and um as i was talking with her i just felt an overwhelming um sense of despair in a sense that um mm. It dawned on me the magnitude of the task, the difficulty of the task, my own inadequacy, and the fact that I could not imagine a way forward that would result in uh, God moving significantly among this people during my lifetime, you know. Mm. And uh, the bottom line was I became very convinced that the only way that anything significant were ha would happen would be if the Lord would allow me to make disciples that would multiply and that they would be formed into churches that would multiply. And um, that was the only thing I could see that gave any hope. And um, so I, you know, just determined to focus only on those aspects. And then That's fortunately... Wow it was a very secluded time because we had no technology there and there was no mail service actually there mm. that we were. And so I had a lot of time to just trial and error. And, um, you know, the Lord showed me some stuff that we still used a lot today over time, wow. but that's kind of how I got focused on movements. Right. Wow. Well, it's it's interesting that you're you said you're a missionary kid, right? Did I hear that right? That's yeah? right. Um, I am too. And there's quite a few of us who are in these movement circles who have uh, come off the field, were raised as kids on the field. And so that's kind of a fun fact that I enjoyed hearing. Um, but how interesting that it was in this time of seclusion and even you use the word despair. Um, that you were just like, there is no way we're going to see these people reach and the need is so great. And then that was when this it sort of came in your heart that we have to multiply, not just have addition kind of growth. And were, were there any significant figures who talked to you about that? Or was it really just the Holy Spirit speaking to you about that? Yeah, um, really it was the Holy Spirit. Um, when we came out and were able to see others, actually, um, our supervisor tried to uh, talk us out of it. Oh. <laughs> the goal was too big, and that was the problem. Um, it wasn't necessarily approaches, but uh, mm, mm, right. Yeah, and that's actually not so uncommon either, is it? When God gives you a God-sized dream and vision, there's often pushback from others who um, we had hoped for encouragement from. 
uh, all formative things, I'm sure, in your life as a disciple and a leader yourself that um, are part of why you're seeing the kind of fruit that you're seeing today. But I had actually hoped, Curtis, to get a chance to interview you well over a year ago. Um, as you know, I know because you've read an early version of my book, Multiplier's Mindset, that's being released in September. But um, I had hoped to talk to you then, but I wanted to be sure to at least ask you one question. Um, we don't have the whole conversation about that tonight, but just what would be one key mindset shift that you would say is, is the most important in your perspective to really releasing multiplication and disciples, making disciples who make disciples? What's one big change in thinking that um, you would want to highlight? Yeah, I think one that comes to mind is um, clarity regarding the goal of what we want to multiply. Because mm -hmm. there have been plenty of people, you know, through throughout history that have understood the need to multiply and all of that. But so often, the primary focus is on the evangelism side. So mm -hmm. kind of conversion, as opposed to what we might think of as the whole package, right? Being conformed to the image of Christ. And I mean, this should be clear to us because it's in even the Great Commission itself, baptizing mm -hmm. them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's how Jesus defines making a disciple. And um, if we um, have anything less as our goal, then there are all sorts of negative consequences. And those become even more obvious, I think, over time, as you get to generations of shallower and shallower, you know, followers in a mm. sense. So I would say um, that would be a key mindset shift is thinking of making disciples as ending up with fully conformed, fully obedient servants of Christ, not just people who claim, claim to, you know, be Christians or whatever. So. Right, right. Yeah. So I hear you saying clarity about what it is that we're actually trying to accomplish in making disciples or in evangelization or finishing the task or the Great Commission. What is it that we are actually trying to do? And this kind of confusion or cloudiness that often comes in and certainly has in recent years, you know, this uh, thinking that conversion or getting people saved or getting people to pray a sinner's prayer or raise their hand or um, is the goal rather than that just being the starting point and really making disciples. And I love that you talk about not just um, not just them joining a church or something like that, but real transformation and change, conforming to the likeness of Christ and um, being part of that package. Anything more you want to say about that in particular? Um, just that I, I think particularly in this phase in our, you know, kind of the 
relatively recent emphasis on movements that the emphasis can and should shift more from the emphasis on the quantity aspects, which are great, but um, it should shift more toward quality. Um, Mm. And the good news is that should speak to everyone. The quantity idea doesn't seem to speak to everyone, but the quality should speak to everyone. And that's, Mm. that's part of the shift we need to make. So true. And, you know, I, I definitely sense that, you know, sometimes that pressure even to want to say you have a movement. Well, what is a movement? It's four generations and multiple streams and you know, this emphasis kind of on getting there to that number of groups or that number, you know, rather than the emphasis being on are these people truly experiencing the kind of transformation and um, sanctification, if you want to say it that way, the, the, the image of Christ being formed in them and they're reproducing that, you know? Um, and yet there is that pull, I think, sometimes towards, you know, reporting numbers or counting numbers and not necessarily, especially I think in the early days when we're getting started um, with a new movement. I know a lot of the people who are listening are still starting those first generation groups or multiplying them into the second generation. And it's like, well, why aren't we seeing more, you know, multiplication? Why aren't we seeing more groups formed? And when is that ever going to be released and happened? And I think it's just such a good encouragement that it really is life on life, multiplying disciples who love Jesus, radically in love with Jesus, and it's overflowing and he's transforming them um, day by day. So I really appreciate that emphasis. Quality is as or maybe more important than the quantity. If you have the quality, you're going to get the quantity eventually. Would, would you say that? Or am I putting words in your mouth there? Yeah. Um... I agree with that, that I think the quality leads to quantity. However, how some people have chosen to pursue quality before, you know, even, um, will not necessarily result in quantity because how they're doing it is not their, um, in a sense, you know, ministering to people rather than equipping people to minister. And Mm. um, so it's not just that you're aiming for quality, but we're aiming for quality in a way that will lead to reproduction because that's how we're told to do it in scripture. So. Right. So good. And I think in YWAM, which is the organization that I've been associated with um, in the discipleship training school, we do a pretty good job of really seeing people's lives changed, you know, in that, uh, sort of hot house environment, you know, there's there's a lot of love and care and time with Jesus and emphasis on transformation. But if we're not also equipping people to go and make disciples and multiply that, and it's very inward focused only or transformation focused only, we get stuck there and we don't see we don't see that. I've certainly seen that in my organization and. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up as well. 
Um, yeah, great stuff. Well, we want to move on. Our time's going by to another question, though. Um, one of the major emphases that I've seen in 2414, and your your um, title, Curtis, is you're a co-leader of that. Is that correct? Co-facilitator. Co-facilitator. Yeah. And even that title is descriptive of this desire to collaborate and have shared leadership. But uh, a major emphasis, it is a collaboration. Maybe tell us what 2414 is and how the vision for that came about and um, yeah, what, uh, what put, how did that come into your heart? So you're, you're a founder of that as well, correct? Well, and early, you know, early Got member. Got it started, an early that. member, right. Um, so what it is, is a coalition of movement practitioners. And um, I like to use the word, words kingdom movement to be broad enough to cover all the different flavors or you know varieties mm -hmm. of of that who are collaborating together in order to try to see every people group and place globally with a movement engagement by the end of 2025 so not that movements will be started but somebody will be trying these approaches in every people group in every place and um, sort of a very quick history of the, the more, you know, recent expressions of movement go, would go back to early 90s. And in several places, pretty much simultaneously, the first couple of years of the 90s, people developed some similar, um, you know, approaches in... Um, China, Cambodia, and India. And then um, in the mid-90s, um, there were um, training events to equip people to do this sort of thing. And um, we trained about, in one month intensives, we trained about 1,500 different individuals from about 300 different organizations. And the first person trained from each organization had to agree to become a trainer within their own agency for these types of things. So very quickly in the mid to late 90s, there were already lots of varieties of, of movements being expressed mm -hmm. because everybody would make adaptations that they thought would make things more appropriate for their setting in their context and mm -hmm. really no effort was made to um, keep all of these streams in touch with each other or whatever. So I would say really the vision for 2414 came from the late Steve Smith. So he was one of those people that was trained and it happens that I, you know, kind of personally mentored him in through his whole process of all of that. But he began to have this sense that all of these different streams could learn from one another. And if we were ever going to get the job done, we would need to be coordinating and be aware of what, you know, was what the Lord was doing through movement. Mm -hmm. So really his um, vision and the first person he sort of pulled in was um, 
Stan Parks, who was um, his kind of his best friend at that time. So they started, you know, in a sense, testing the waters to see um, if people were interested. And there were two meetings that were, where they pulled together a lot of the more influential or fruitful movement practitioners to these meetings and just tested the waters to see, is this something that people would be interested in? And it was. And so then um, shortly after the second one of those meetings, we started and the first kind of three that were co-facilitators were Steve, Stan, and myself from, you know, so I was there at the very beginning, but I wasn't the visionary for it. Um, But, um, and then, you know, over time, it's developed over the last few years. It's, we're still, you know, pretty new, but um, we're into 33 geographic regions plus one globally for the deaf. And so Mm. the, practical leadership is representatives from each of those global facilitation teams that form a global strategy team and that meets together so okay right yeah and i've seen that in action and attended some of those meetings but um tell some people may not know what 2414 stands for uh probably yeah just briefly how'd you choose that name or what does it mean yeah it references matthew chapter 24 verse 14 which says this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Mm, yeah. I, and I think most people might guess that uh, being familiar with that verse, but I, I thought that's good if we would highlight that. Yeah. Well, collaboration is so key and so important and yet not, not always easy. And so I wanted to ask you, other than it just being a good idea, which seemed to make sense, what's kind of the biblical basis as you, as you talk with people who are struggling with collaboration or what, uh, what is it that kind of drives it as far as from the word? Yeah. Um, so whether it's from the wisdom literature, like especially Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, <clears throat> Solomon makes a big deal about the benefits of unity but more often we hear referenced things like the high priestly prayer in John 17, where Jesus really focuses heavily on unity, um, commands it, talks about the fact that, you know, it's through our unity that the world will know that the Father sent the Son. There Elsewhere in John, it talks about the um, increasing fruitfulness that comes. Um, I think indirectly, the teachings of the in the spiritual gifts passages, so Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, we can see that unity is required because God has designed us as his body to be interdependent with one another. And you can't do that without collaborating. And um, Mm -hmm. so those would be some high level comments about that. Making disciples and sharing Jesus with those around you can be difficult. 
We need help to keep our faith alive as we step out to do new things. Faith to Move Mountains, stirring our faith to believe for movements among the unreached, is a 30-day devotional that will encourage your heart and build your faith. In it, I and my co-author, Kevin Sutter, share a scripture, a story, and a challenge each day from years of frontline experience working in tough places. Like I said, making disciples can be hard, progress is often slow, and breakthroughs seem distant. This devotional will kickstart your faith for a movement of disciples in your area. Grab a copy on Amazon.com today. So in that first part of the interview, and there are going to be two parts, so we'll be back with the second half of this interview in our next episode. But in that first half, we were learning about clarity regarding the goal of what it is being vital. If we don't know what it is we're trying to multiply, we are going to aim all over the place. We might aim at conversion and making, getting people saved rather than really fulfilling Jesus' command of making disciples who make disciples and seeing them trained to do everything that Jesus commanded. He also talked about how our emphasis should not just be on quantity, but on the quality of disciples we're making. And I think this is especially important for those of us who are movement practitioners to really hear what Curtis said about that. We need to be seeing transformed people, transformation of lives, people being formed in the image of Christ, not just lots of groups started and not just lots of people in those groups and saying that we have four generations or six generations or eight generations, but we want to see quality discipleship, people's lives being transformed. And often that quality will lead to the quantity, though not always, Curtis reminded us, sometimes we need to uh, make sure, I guess, that there's that impartation of that DNA of saying disciples make disciples. And we're really equipping people to pass on what it is that's happening in in their lives, not just ministering to them. Um, so these are some of the things he talked about, the biblical basis for unity and collaboration coming from Jesus's high priestly prayer in John 17, and also the spiritual gifts. So here's my takeaway. I want to encourage you to go and read that passage, that priestly prayer in John 17, and take a little time to meditate on it. And then think about the question, how could I collaborate more? Who could I begin collaborating with? Who do I need to be collaborating with that I haven't really wanted to? And then we're going to come back in the next episode and hear more from Curtis. So, but let's, let's do that. I'm going to do that between now and the next episode. So let's take some time to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us about that collaboration and unity and a spirit of collaboration really being part of our lives um, as we prepare for the next part of this amazing interview. God bless. That's all we've got for this episode of the Dare to Multiply podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at dmmsfrontiermissions.com slash blog on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember... 
God's dreams for us are always bigger than we can imagine.